This is Real Talk with Chris, Julian, and we have our special guest today, Rolando. Tell him what's up. Awesome, man. Well, hey guys, I'm super excited to be here. First of all, thank you guys, Chris and Julian, for allowing me to be here on this podcast with you guys. No problem. So I'm fired up. What you guys got? We are, we are extremely happy to have you here today. A mutual friend connected us, and I'm glad um, you know, we are here today, and we're mm-hmm. going to talk about real estate. Absolutely. Let's Perfect. do it. Let's start off with, with what you do, you okay. know, um, what, what's your purpose in real estate and, and how did you, did you get here to this point in your life? Sure. Okay. So um, real estate actually wasn't my first plan. Okay. Um, I went to FIU, Florida International University. I studied political science and international relations. Um, that's actually how I met the mutual friend that connected us. Great. And through that path, um, you know, I wanted to get to go into law school. That ended up not working out because I just found student loans to be too expensive. I didn't really want to dive into something that I didn't really find myself too passionate about. All the while in college, I was always in sales. Uh, I did retail sales for basically my whole, my whole life whenever I was doing jobs. Um, and my mom owned a couple properties at the time and she was dealing with a troublesome tenant, this like crazy old lady and she was hoarding dogs. It's the ladies. Oh man, she was hoarding dogs. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we wanted to evict her. We went through this whole crazy process because she actually knew the mayor of the local city. So we were trying to get the cops and the lawyers to evict her, but she went to law school. It was a mess. Got to get the sheriff involved my, too. Yeah, my mom <laughs> was extremely stressed out about it. So she was like, I don't want to deal with any more tenants. She's like, I want to sell this place. And I had just gotten my bachelor's degree. So she tells me to get my license. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll get my license to sell the place. Uh, two months later, I finally get the license. I'm like, all right, mom, let's put the property up for sale. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm not in the, I don't want to sell it anymore. How many years ago did you get your license? Uh, I got my license at the end of 2015, so it was November of 2015. Okay. Yeah, and um, so at that point I was like, well, I got my license just to help you. Now I don't really know what to do with it. I might as well just hang my license somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, I uh, got a call from 100% Brokerage. I went over there, um, didn't really get much training. Uh, they were kind of just throwing me into the water, so I didn't really do much my first year. At that point, I was still kind of in the air about what I wanted to do with my career and my life. Um, So one of my best friends actually mentioned to me that his older brother is a broker and he was working on fixing and flipping homes. Um, And he was moving into Keller Williams because they were showing him how to set up a team model and he needed an agent to leverage his listings to create more business. So he thought of me. Uh, He offered me an opportunity as a buyer's agent on his team. Uh, I worked in that for two and a half years. Uh, In my first year of real estate with Keller Williams, I sold 22 houses. Uh, The following year, yeah, I sold 21 uh, with a higher sales volume. And then this past February 2019, uh, the team leader at our office. So what a team leader is, is I guess you would call it sort of like a manager, an office manager. Uh, But your job also consists of training, consulting, and recruiting people. Right. So... They offered me that opportunity. I was already in a leadership position at the office because at Keller Williams, they have what's called an associate leadership council. So they picked like 10 members every year. So I was on that uh, for two years and then they offered me this position. And the funny thing about it was when he first offered it to me, he said, oh, this is an opportunity that's going to be coming like within three months. I just wanted to see if you were open to it. I was like, okay, cool. Well, yeah, I'm up for it. 
three days later, he sits me down in the office and he's like, hey, so this is happening a lot quicker than we thought. Uh, I'm leaving in two weeks. That's awesome. <laughs> right. Right. So I just got thrown straight into Perfect. it. Um, you know, I'm about past what we call a 30, 60, 90. So I'm about to finish the 90 day graduation. Nice. Uh, where hopefully, God willing, uh, I assume the position as the full time team leader of the office. That's awesome. so exciting, man. Yeah, man. How old are you right now to let all our viewers know? So I'm 26 years old. Um, I've been in real estate technically for three and a half years, though my first year of real estate, I don't really consider it a real year because I just had the license and I wasn't really doing anything with it. So really in real estate, really in real estate, <laughs> two and a half years. Nice. Okay, well, that's yeah. awesome. Already yeah. having a position as a team leader at such a big company. Like yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I've, you know, we talked a little bit before this and I can really tell, you know, you're, you're a hard worker, you're passionate, yeah. and you're young, you're ready to go, man. Yeah. And um, that's super exciting. Thank you. So, um, what what kind of, I know I know you um, you do the sales, and now mm -hmm. you really focus more on the, the team strategies, mm -hmm. but what's your favorite kind of experience um, in the whole real estate, um, I guess, uh, industry or mm. you know, career? You know, there's a few parts to it, so, I'm a salesman at heart, so there's nothing like the high of closing a deal, right? right. True. You love, you know, you're going through the fire when you have something under contract, you deal with the issues in inspection, the appraisal, the lender's conditions to approve the financing. You get that C to C. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. So that whole experience, right, and then getting to the closing table after a really tough close is, is I mean, after a really tough deal is the best feeling ever, you know, seeing your buyers or your sellers finally over everything. Right. Uh, that's awesome. Um, however, I really found my calling in training and consulting and coaching agents. Um, so while I was in the leadership council, I obviously had a leadership presence at the office and there was a few agents that would come to me for help and guidance and I was able to help them start growing their business. And then, you know, I had a couple of conversations with people and they told me things like, hey, that one conversation you had with me changed my life. So those sorts of conversations, I really started to like find a passion for helping people in that sense. So then when I was presented with the opportunity, I just found it like a natural fit. Um, I found it like really a calling. Um, and that's what helps me work so hard to it because I see it more as a career and a passion than a job. Absolutely. Yeah. We talk about that on, on here all the time, you know. Yeah. Um, a job is when you 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 don't exactly yeah. do everything that you do in a day, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, when, when you actually have a passion for something and actually want to put forth your best effort into being successful, it's, yeah. it's got to be 24 hours. It's got to be something you eat, sleep, and breathe. Yeah. You know, I say it a lot. When I'm not looking at real estate, I'm looking at real estate. Yeah. It's because <laughs> it, it, it does. It fits into our life every day. And, um, and it's fun. It's not like a struggle to have to wake up to go do exactly. whatever each one of us respectively do in real right. estate. Exactly. Right. And there's so many different parts to real estate too. There's connections. There's actually, you know, numbers. There's... Yeah. All different types of or different, different aspects, aspects, aspects of business in, in real estate. You get all of it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, so it's it's really exciting. And um, I kind of wanted to ask you if you had any advice mm -hmm. for someone that's looking to get into real estate or is looking to invest or help a family member out. What would you kind of say would be their best, I guess, rule of thumb or purpose to, to complete what they want to do in real estate? So this really could transcend into any career that someone wants to go into. 
Uh, first things first, find out what we call at our company your big why. What's your motivation? Like, what do you get out of bed every day to do? What do you want to achieve with the job and the money that you bring into your life, right? Because I hear a lot of people say, oh, well, I want to invest in real estate. Okay, well, you want to invest in real estate for what, right? You're just going to bring in money or is that money going to do something for you and your family? Okay, so what is it going to do for you and your family, right? Are you looking to leave a legacy? What is the thing that really drives you to work? And once you have that figured out, really dive into systems and stay consistent on what you got to do. Um, the reason why I was able to have success so quickly was because I understood the concept of lead generation, which is you know getting on the phones or getting on the streets, getting face to face and building relationships with people or getting appointments and also um, following a schedule, right? Um, I really developed the concept of time blocking, um, which is something that the company stresses a lot. Uh, there's a book uh, called The One Thing that was published by Keller Williams that basically focuses people on time blocking, being organized, and building habits, right? Because people tend to think that people are more disciplined than others, and the what I believe and what the company believes is if you start with small habits and you build those small habits, you can naturally grow more and more habits. Right. Um, I mean, for example, so I thought the number one habit that I needed to build was every day I needed to build the habit of getting on the phones. Well, I went really deep into myself and started asking myself questions and before I even focused on my business, I needed to focus on my mind right? The mindset, like what is the vision? What is the energy? What are the thoughts that are coming out of you that you're letting out into the universe? So I focused a lot on meditation at first. Now I've heard people say, you know, meditate for 30 minutes a day. I mean, have you guys tried meditating for 30 minutes a day? Sounds like a long time. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm doing nothing for 30 minutes. Nothing for 30 minutes, just being sitting completely still. So that was way too hard. So I had to start really small and I started with three minutes a day. I built that habit up to five minutes and then now I meditate for 10 minutes every morning. Wow. Now, if I would have started with 10 minutes, there's no way I could have built that habit. So again, starting really small and then doing what they call in the book a 66 day challenge. The book being the one thing uh, where you do something for 66 days straight because that's what researchers say will help you solidify a habit. That's awesome. Yeah, so stay consistent, find your passion. And really don't, I would say don't be afraid also to lead generate. You know, I feel like a lot of realtors um, wait for business to come to them. So there's two types of lead generation, right? There's the passive lead generation and there's the proactive. Mm -hmm. Passive being you're doing marketing, you're putting out ads, you're putting out things for people to call you and you're waiting for the call. Proactive being you're hitting the phones, you're getting out on the streets, you're going to events, you're getting face to face or on the phone with people. Right. Um, both will bring you business, Proactive lead generation will just bring you more. Right. And though it does take some more drive, that's why I say it's important to find your motivation, mm -hmm. right, before you dive into it. Because it's hard. Right. It's really hard. It you is. know, getting rejected all the time is, is not an easy thing. But as long as you understand it's a numbers game, and the more you people know, you hit, the more people you'll eventually get. get a yes. That's awesome. Right. Yeah, I think I agree with um, you know consistency. I also like to use the word persistence a lot. Absolutely, um, it's True. just keeping keep doing something yeah. uh, over and over, no matter the outcome. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If if it if it does you bad, try it again. Yeah. If it does you good, keep doing it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I think that's really important. And then also what you said about the you know the um, proactive. You know, I think it's important to do the the push and pull yeah. kind of marketing. Yeah. And um, oh, and, and one thing too. Uh, follow up, 
right? That's true. Follow up follow is really through. important. Right? Follow up and follow through. A lot through. of people forget about that. A lot of people forget about that. I mean, I'll give you guys an example. Um, towards the end of 2016, a guy called me off of one of my for sale signs saying he wanted to sell a property. I was like, great. And then all of a sudden he goes missing. I start calling him, I keep calling him, I keep calling him, he doesn't answer, he doesn't answer, I'm keeping calling him, and then I swear it happened like at least three times where I was like, I don't wanna call this guy anymore, but something just kept telling me to call him back, call him back, call him back. Now this was at the end of 2016. I kept following up with him every few months, giving him a call just to check in and at least see if he could somehow give me a sign of life. And once in a while he'll say, oh yeah, when I'm ready I'll let you know, I'll let you know. Finally, December of 2018, more than two years later, I'm still following up with this guy. He finally says, you know, Rolando, I'm ready to sell my properties. And oh, by the way, I have a portfolio of properties that I'm looking to sell that if you do well on these, you're my guy. And luckily right now we have the first property under contract and he's building some new constructions that my team is going to be working on for. That's awesome. That's great. Do you have some kind of system that you use to follow up with these people? Um, So what I was using previously is I had a CRM called Market Leader, which Keller Williams provided us. And then I used that with a combination of my Google Calendar. Um, However, now recently in February, Keller Williams launched a new technology where everything's centralized on a platform. So you have your calendar, you have your CRM, you have your pipeline, everything in one place. So now, for example, on that thing, I can set up reminders and there's like a task manager section on the on the program where I can literally see what I have to do on a daily basis. So it's helping me be more efficient, right? And that's really key because us as agents, you know, when we don't have the right tools, you know, sometimes we'll write things on a notebook or we'll put our contracts on an Excel sheet. Like me, for example, I was putting my whole pipeline on an Excel sheet. I ran my schedule off a of Google Calendar and then I had my CRM in all kinds of different places like Market Leader, but I kept some notes on Google Calendar and I also kept some notes on paper, right? So when you centralize all those things and everything is all being interchanged on a platform, it helps you become more efficient. Right, the yeah. power of technology. The power of technology, man. You gotta use it more, especially the calendars. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. People forget to use that stuff. Yeah. They just write it down. Like, I have no yeah. problem at that time. They don't realize you don't have enough time to go from Rickwood to Hialeah in yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah, Oh yeah, good luck in this town. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I used to put everything like right next, right under each other. <laughs> that was I think that I could just time. knock out that perfect day, <laughs> right? Back to back to back to back. Back to back to back. You yeah. get one accident on the Palmetto, you're 30 minutes late for the rest that's of the day. That's right. Exactly. That's right. That throws you off. That, that throws palmetto, you off. Oh, man. That's funny. Well, that's great. You know, I think uh, I think you're an awesome guy. You have Thank passion. You. I think you, you guys can... are amazing, too. Thank I love you, what man. you guys are doing. <laughs> so that's great. You know, um, I think you're gonna you're gonna continue doing well, and Thank I you. wish you the best with everything that's Likewise. gonna happen in the uh, in the uh, on the team, and I wish you great success. Thank you. Um, but let's let's start off the podcast with some with some news. Sure. Um, everyone loves basketball, right? Okay. One of the one of the most famous players ever, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Can't believe how tall is this guy? I think he's 6'6". Really? He's not over seven feet, right? He's, no. he's pretty close to it, though. When, he's, when he stands on his money, he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like eight feet. That's funny. Yeah, so, yeah. So wait, who do you think is better? Before we start off the podcast, who do you think is better? LeBron or Michael Jordan? Ah, oh, dude. <laughs> I have okay. a lot. <laughs> so different factors, right, when we say who we think is better. All around skill set. I mean, a guy who can play anything from the one through the five, LeBron. Yes. But when we're talking about a guy with an absolute killer instinct, like that competitive drive where he will lead his team to victory no matter what they're facing, 
You gotta give it to Michael Jordan, man. So if you were to start a team right now, you could pick one of these two guys in their prime, obviously. Who do you pick? Michael Jordan or LeBron? I grew up in the era of LeBron, man, but I recognize great leaders and I recognize people who can basically drive a team and motivate everyone to win and be the leader to drive the win, and I'd have to go with Michael Jordan, man. If, you, Chris? if I was the team owner, yeah. I'd go with the cheapest one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're both great. I think they both have great skills, but... Um, Whoever gets me the highest return on it. <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah. funny. No, yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of return on investment, um, you know, Michael Jordan has done very well in basketball, uh, but one asset that has been struggling is his home in Chicago. It's been for sale for over six years. What is the asking price on this place? Do you know? Well, they started off at $29 million. They're down to somewhere around $14 million. Oh, my god. They're on the gosh. market for six years. His house has 56,000 square feet. 56,000 square feet. Yeah, I've I'm seen it on seven eight. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not. He's got a. He's got his own basketball court in there. You know, he has a, a golfing, like, golfing setup, some type of golf course. You could go Similar. missing in that house. Yeah, <laughs> I think you could. And to be honest, you know, he's a tall guy. He's yeah. got a custom fit at the doors and everything, and it's just crazy to think, you know, someone of that, you know, level in sports history is not someone that just goes up there and says, "Hey, I need that." You yeah. know what I'm saying? Cool. This guy. You know, based his career and continued it in this house. You know, how can how can I be a part of that? Well, they say the biggest problem with the house is that it's too personalized for Michael Jordan. Huh. Everywhere you walk in, every door has like a twenty three or an MJ or something. If everything was too personalized to Michael Jordan, then why does he have a billion dollar shoe company? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Think about it. People beg to wear Jordans. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And when this house goes for sale, no one wants it. Kind of blows my mind. You know, yeah, it's I a mean, beautiful house. Beautiful it could, house. you know, what I what I always believe too is the price. Right? Yeah, if it's not selling something, the price isn't right. The price isn't justified. Um, and also, you know, what happens with product on the market is once it sits on the market for too long, it gets stale in the buyer's eyes, right? If he would have priced it six years ago at what he's priced 14. it now, fourteen, right? That's most likely he would have sold it. Yeah, right. But now what's happened is because it's been on the pro on the on out on the market for so long, six years, no one's buying it. I mean, psychologically, that creates you know like a stale look in the buyer's eyes. They're kind of like, okay, if no, one no really one's bought it. it in six years, why should I buy it? And if I'm gonna buy it, I'm gonna make them a really low offer. Right. Right. Yeah, I think it's just super interesting. I would really want to know how many offers they've gotten and at what price. Right. Yeah. I really want to know. That's an yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, That's something yeah. interesting. But, you know, it is a part of sports history, you know, um, sure. and, and he's done very well, and um, it's in Chicago, it's, it's in the suburbs. It's in the suburbs of Chicago. That's, that's, that might be another thing, too, you know. Um, if we're on be. Star Island, I would have, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it geez. would be the entire island. You know, one thing I'm thinking about, too, is if he would have taken out the personal touches, right, how much would that cost? Right, that's right? another thing. How yeah. much would that cost and how much would he have saved by doing that in the beginning before he put it out on the market? Right. I mean. And who knows, maybe he has gotten offers. And maybe he's he literally said, I don't want a penny less than this number because I'm Michael right. Jordan. <laughs> you true. know what I'm saying? But then six years later, he's dropped his price 15 million. And he's right. gotta pay 100,000 in property taxes yeah. every hey. year. Yeah. Michael, if you need a realtor, <laughs> call me, <man. laughs> yeah. I got you. <laughs> 
Man, yeah, that's Maybe great. he just got to switch real estate companies. Yeah. Hey, you know? I feel bad for the realtor. If, it, if he's been on that for six years, I'm sure there's probably been a few of them. But I wonder if that listing ever expired. Like, Michael yeah. Jordan get calls at 7 o'clock in the morning from agents. How funny would that be? That'd be, that'd be hilarious. No, yeah, I think it's funny. We, we like to look at the celebrity uh, news for, for real estate. Another thing that we saw um, come on the market is... And a lot of people know know who this is, who are 90s kids or, was it 80s? No, I'm just going to say 90s and 2000s. Well, 90s kids saw it. Right, right. It was the 80s. Oh, <laughs> it was? Okay. Well, Full House is what we're talking about. Um, it's a great family show. Um, it was on ABC Family Network. So the house there has been listed for sale by one of the producers of the show. He purchased it in 2016. For four million dollars, he asking now, and he's now asking six million, and so he bought it. He bought it back in 2016 because that's when they were starting to get the idea to recreate um, the Netflix series, which is Fuller House, which um, includes um, oh, hold on, what's her name? Her name is like uh, Lindsay, um, one of the mom in the show. Um, oh yeah, she's yeah. been under some backfire recently. <laughs> so it was someone. Um, oh, it was DJ Tanner. <laughs> no, yeah, but I mean, it's San Francisco. Have you ever been to San Francisco? No, I'm actually going this summer. Oh, okay, it's yeah. July. It's beautiful over there. It's amazing. The market is absolutely um, it's booming over there. I could see why, you know, he's asking $2 million over why, you know, he's when he bought it. Yeah. And so um, it's, just, it's just incredible, you know, so... Um, we like to we like to bring some more features about uh, celebrities on the show and um, the full house. We think everyone can can kind of connect with. So and it, it wasn't the interior shots; it was just the exterior. Hmm. It's if it were like the full house set like that we see on TV, I think it would be such an easy sell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If they actually shot inside there, but it's just the exterior. The inside shots. of the house is probably completely like different. So yeah. so they don't have photos of the inside. They do. Okay. They do. They do well, not on the show. Just oh, like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, okay. Like the show uses like a random set. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. So they just had like rolling shots of the outside and stuff. But I mean, still, that's pretty cool. I just mean, like when you turn on Fuller House, it shows like the outside. Yeah. Place. Got it. Yeah. Got it. But I mean, it's a 4 4. It's got like 3,700 square feet. It's a pretty big house for six. It's a big house. It's not bad, you know what I'm saying? I mean, California is a different market out there, but um, it is useful. It's not, uh, it's not like a, you know, Brickle apartment around here where people have a hard time with that, you know, so. Yeah. You have the yeah. 25% occupancy around here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, speaking of occupancy, let's talk about the vacancy rates right now in office. The okay. office um, category of real estate right now has been, it's, it's been doing great. Office has a really low supply right now, which is great, which means people are um, buying it and, and using it. And it's, they say a big factor is these people all, because, you know, last few years it's been a lot about apartments. Right. Now those people, are they got to work somewhere, and the employment rate is so low right now that everyone's working. So they well, need an office. Rate, so. Right, right. Yeah, I'm sorry, employment rate. <laughs> <laughs> employment rate. Yeah, well, that too. Everyone's working. Yeah, yeah. So, um, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see. Um, there was an article published that says, you know, um, there's there's a lot of things happening in office and it looks very promising in the future. I think that's a very good sign for the economy if, mm-hmm. if businesses are filling up all these offices all the time. Right. I mean, it would be bad if all these office buildings were empty. Another factor I see is that they keep on busting up residential buildings and no new office buildings. Right. Like yeah. look, look around here in Miami, they, every day they're putting up new residential buildings. 
these people that move into here gotta work somewhere. Right. Yeah. They're not making them. Right. But what I think we've talked about it before in the past is that these co-working spaces are coming out too. Like exactly. we that, that's a really cool concept to be in right now. Of course. Yeah. And those are occupied too. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna mention, you know, we work, for example, right here in Brickles. Right, right up there, yeah. They're crushing it. They're they're doing really well. You know, I, I was talking to to someone earlier this week, and the the thing that WeWork has done, and every business has to do this, is taking something and, and just making it more efficient for the consumer. Mm-hmm. So you take you take something that you have to purchase, you take something that you have to rent for a year, you take something that you have to rent for a month, then you take something that you have to rent for a week, right. and that's what WeWork has done. That's what Uber has done. That's what Airbnb has done. All of those those right. companies have scaled it down and said, okay, you guys can get it for by the day, by the hour, by the minute, yeah. and it has expanded their returns beyond. That's how WeWork was able to get a lot of money to entice people saying that you don't right. have to sign a 12 month lease with us. Right. You can be with us and move out in a month. Right. But they're, they are very expensive. Like right. I had someone in their client that I got from there. He was renting about a room this big. What is it, like 200 square feet? Uh-huh. He's paying about 3,500 bucks a month. Wow. I got him an office in Brickle, also in Brickle, walking distance from Brickle City Center because he used to live in solitaire. I think it was 1,200 square foot office or 2,700 bucks. Right. Right. Wow. And, you know, we talk about that too. It's just like Uber. It makes more sense to drive, but at the end of the day, you know, maybe you don't want to, you know, go get your car in the, the parking garage or, you know, there's tolls or something like that. There's always going to, Uber is always going to be more expensive than driving in, in most circumstances, but... People, you know, sometimes it just makes more Whatever's sense. Whatever's more ahead. convenient sometimes. Right, more convenient. And another thing about WeWork in, in terms of the value proposition is the community aspect, right? Absolutely. That networking. Networking. You can talk to other, other professionals. Business owners. Exactly, exactly. And grow your network from there. Have you ever been inside a WeWork office? They're actually very cool. I actually haven't. Uh, I have a friend of mine, uh, Anna. She works in WeWork. Um, and she's told me all about it. Um, I actually had a, uh, a friend who used to work in another uh, shared space, um, and I got to see that. So it, it, it all those space, all those types of um, companies and, and systems have a big community aspect, right? So like they have like you know a little kitchen area, they have a play area, they have you know right. gyms. I hear they sell beer too. I, yeah. I think that's great. That would do work kitchen. well in this apartment. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I, I think um, WeWork is expanding a lot, mm-hmm. and you know companies are finding out ways to to start these co-working spaces i hear about there's even like a few rappers um that were investing in these co-working spaces so i mean a lot of people are you know taking notice of it we started the name but there's a lot of other good companies that yeah. are right. supportive yeah and right and you know we work just started investing in winwood um they're on south beach i think they're down in the gables they're in the, too. they got two offices in the gables Doral, they're, yeah, yeah, now they're there. expanding fast right? yeah so they're doing a really good job um, with everything there, um, but let's kind of move into more like land. Let's talk a little bit more about land um, and opportunity zones. We're bringing this back up. We, we've talked about the concept of opportunity zones and and kind of the the regulations or or you know why people do them, which is you know to to um, achieve a more advantageous uh, tax climates for your return, but. Really, right now, Miami and South Florida and, and a lot across the world, uh, I'm sorry, the United States is, is seeing this advantageous program. It's one of the most talked about real estate programs right now. And um, there's millions of dollars heading towards this program over the next 
you know, year or two while it's still in effect. It, it could end, you know what I'm saying? Can you explain a little bit more? Yeah, so there was, uh, there was an article published this past week of a, um, about an almost $6 million um, opportunity zone that was being invested in Overtown. It was about 72 units. Um, they purchased it with uh, financing. So they only had to put about a million or two that's, down. That's a very good thing about opportunity zones. Exactly. Banks want to finance. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, since we're talking about the investment right now, you know, the, the initial investment that these people are putting in is all capital gains. It's all profit. And um, if they completely reap the benefits of, you know, investing in an opportunity zone, waiting 10 years, and keeping that money put... Uh, before you you know develop it or sell it off, whatever you do, um, you're seeing about thirty to forty percent return on your return because you're not paying taxes and that money is staying put. Right. So it's it's pretty interesting how they work. Um, there's another. There was some news this past week about um, a small development company in Coral Gables that was also investing in about a fifty million dollar opportunity fund. They had two deals going on right now. They invest a lot in hotels. Um, this isn't just land, you know what I'm saying? This is economically distressed uh, properties that are, are clarified in the system. There's about 18,000 uh, parcels of land that are, that are available under the opportunity zones. And you were kind of telling us that, you know, you're experiencing it right now. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, funny we were talking about opportunity zones to be completely transparent. Um, I heard, first heard the term about opportunity zones uh, during the week this past week. Uh, I have a client of mine who referred me to her sister that right now they're working on selling this piece of land in the Wynwood area. Uh, and we had a really hard time finding comparables for it. So I was like, you know, what could we realistically get for this property for, for my clients? Right. And uh, I contacted one of the agents in my office, uh, Ron Platt. Thank you, man. Um, he basically did a comparable for a, a comparative analysis for us and he's like you may want to find out if this is in an, in an opportunity zone because if it is the value is going to be higher yeah so I was like hmm okay and you know we were talking about this too you know being agents you get first dibs on properties before they hit the market so right. you also get to think like an investor so you get to think and ask yourself, should I buy it or should I list it? Right. Right. And especially with something like that. I mean, that's a huge opportunity. So definitely something that I've got to look into. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I was reading something online today about Ram Realty. Their CEO was saying that he doesn't really like opportunity zones because people are just too focused on the tax advantages. Right. With, huh. I think you should just focus on, can you make money? Yes or no? It's right. Like, zone that that's better. Right. It's good. And it's not like it's, it's, it's going to happen about. tomorrow. Your riches aren't going to happen tomorrow. Right. You've got to wait. I mean, you can get out in five years, but you won't reap the full benefits right. of it. Exactly. You know, obviously. But um, we've talked about it before. And, and really, you know, um, we've listened uh, to um, the, the REIT manager, Glenn Refrano, who um, has about $14 billion in real estate assets. He says, if you focus on any real estate program that you know is mainly focused on the tax advantages, you're really not going to get the the rate of return that you want to do. It's right. it's just because the the you know the tax advantage is there. The tax advantages are a plus, but it's all about making money. Right. Bingo. There you go. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. And what are the what's the purpose of these you know tax plans if you're not making money? 
Right. You know, so that's, that's if cool. you're not making any money, there's no taxes to be worried about. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. And I mean, you're talking about waiting ten years. Yeah. To avoid those taxes. So. Exactly. That's you know a lot of things could happen. I'm not saying that all these zones are bad, but <laughs> no. You can't just only focus on finding an opportunity. Zone, exactly. Which some of these guys are, I think they're confused and they are doing. Yeah. But. Well, you know, there's also people who just have a lot of money, a lot of wealth right. that just need to put it somewhere, you know, and they don't want to pay taxes on it. And obviously the interest that they're getting from bank accounts isn't getting them any return. Exactly. Right. But, and, but if they were putting into an investment that would make them more money. Absolutely. Right. Better. Yeah. Yeah. True. So I, I think, you know, what you said is, is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think if you, you have people that are making money, investing it and also using the tax advantages, that's that's your yeah, trifecta right there. That's, that's, yeah, that would be perfect. That right. would be perfect. Right. So there's a company-related group, very big in Miami, big in New York, big across the country, mm-hmm. um, big in development. Uh, you, you've dealt with them before on a rental. Yeah, right, and so um, they're investing in, a, in about a $250 million opportunity uh, fund. Um, they have about $143 million right now that they've um, accepted, and they're they're basically just taking all their profits and putting it in this fund and just kind of, you know, putting it away. And well, I'm sure they, well, obviously, you know, they're, they're developing property right now. You know, they're, ma- they're, they're selling property, they're making money. So you're getting kind of that trifecta, but for someone to just focus on that and make that a career, it's kind of tough. You know what I'm saying? So, Only investing opportunities. Right. It's about making the money. Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So you gotta make the money first and then, and then, you know, figure it out from there but that's really interesting you know you got both sides of the argument there right yeah yeah but i mean i was talking to my accountant recently because he obviously everyone knows the tax deadline was april 15th so talking to him he was i was like man what i gotta pay so much taxes and he was like be happy you gotta pay a lot of taxes and that means you made good money he was like my dream is to pay a million dollars in taxes that's what he's telling me because that means i made a lot of money and i have to pay a million dollars in taxes right yeah, that's another thing. A lot of people think about, all right, I want to make a million dollars. Other people think about, I want to pay a million dollars in taxes. <laughs> make a lot more than a million dollars. That's crazy. That's, yeah. that's, that's what you're telling me. That's his dream. That's, that's really cool. Dream. I think I just changed it up right there. I think I just changed it up. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy. The amount of tax advantages that are being um, involved into real estate right now, you know, the uh, Opportunity Zones were a part of the... Um, Trump tax plan in 2017 so it's been evolving and you know people will say this is about as good as it gets with these with this real estate program um, they, they're really not sure if there's gonna be a, you know an opportunity zone 2.0 is one right. what I'm saying is you know well they don't know if they'll ever see this kind of program be involved in real estate ever again because it's just you know, it, it can it can be very lucrative for the right people. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And there's certain like guidelines and stuff that you have to meet. Like you can't cash out on your investment for five to ten years, right? Depending mm-hmm. on what it is. So it's not as easy as people make it seem. But and also we talked know. about this too. What what do the people do after? You know what I'm saying? You know, there's people out there that this is this is extracting and adding value to a distressed community, right? right? So you're trying to trying to Create small business growth, create development, and um, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to focus on more affordable plans, which Miami needs, but a lot of people are starting to do the luxury aspect, and you're saying that they're placing a limit on the on the caps on these? Yeah, I was doing, I was working with someone, they were telling me that 
It was a Woodwood community, actually, yeah. and that you can't make over 32000 to live there. It was and an it opportunity was zone? Yeah, it was. Okay. Mm. That's what the developer, I guess the city had told them, or the IRS, someone told them that they can't. It's the IRS that's behind this, oh. you know? Yeah, so yeah. So for a 1-1, you can't make over 32000 for the entire, like, if it's a couple, you can't make 32000 combined. Wow. So you got to be right on the limit to live in there. And this in Wynwood? It's in Wynwood. Interesting. That's very cool, though. Renting, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's like a it's a balancing act, man. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, what, what what tends to happen too is a lot of people. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is, a lot of these areas, Wynwood, you know, even also Liberty City now is mm-hmm. going into having it's a lot of development happening, it. right? So what's happening is um, people are getting pushed out, and they really don't have anywhere to go. Um, you know, people are moving to the extreme south in the Homestead area or in the North Lauder Hill area. Yeah. You know, it's like. And they've traditionally lived in these communities. I mean, you think about a place like uh, Liberty City, it's got a lot of tradition with African-Americans in that area. And, you know, I worked a lot in that area. I saw, I've been seeing the change now because what's happening is you've got Wynwood in the south, you've got Hialeah to the west, and you've got Biscayne and and the whole popping area, Miami area right Right. there on the right. And what's happening is those areas are getting really expensive. Mm -hmm. So everyone is now pushing into... Don't have a city, exactly. You know just saying? kind of pushing those people out. So right. I think it's great that the government is, is putting in policies like that to help those sort of because people. It's it still is gentrifying. Like yes. you're still making it look nice, but yeah. you're still offering somewhat affordable housing, like right. rental. Exactly. Them. Right. Exactly. You can't make 100 grand to live there. Right. Now but it's nice living though. It's right. Very nice. Now that all all we have the information for is the is like you said like a one one. Now you know people can build two to three bedrooms right. and that might double or triple the amount that you can make. Per right, unit. so for a three two, maybe it's fifty thousand. Right. Yeah, and you know that's still that's. I mean, I'm not a developer, but that's still profitable that, yeah. for a developer, but also doesn't you know there's no um, because you're excess. cutting out that thirty percent of capital gain. Right, right. right. That's where they're making money. So they yeah, make thirty. Yeah. yeah, they're already taking advantage of, of something. They you know they they don't need to make anymore. Is what the government is saying for for this um, type of program. So it's really it's really interesting on on how these programs work, you know. And um, but yeah, Julian, do you have any more information about about um, any information about the rents or anything or anything happening in Miami? I was looking at an article today. It was, it was really interesting to me. Um, the top five neighborhoods in Miami that have like the highest rental increases in the mm-hmm. last quarter. Number, I mean, obviously we have Brickle always in there, yeah. South Beach, all right. these people, Four Gables, you know, the yeah. expensive areas. One of the areas that's not usually in there, that's in there now, is the Dayland area of Kenton. Hmm. Rentals have, rental prices have gone up there like 7%, hmm. which is a big deal there. I think I think it's a nice area. I've been down there. They yeah, have like a I nice have, yeah. Like, mall. Like it's almost kind of like a mini Brickwell City Center. They have one there. of my favorite restaurants, Pub Belly. Shout out Pub Belly. <laughs> if uh, yeah, it's right over there. I actually almost moved over there. Um, you know, gotta gotta meet the Rube Magic number, but um, that that didn't take place. But Dayland, I think, is a really cool area. The it mall is. there is great. I like it. Um, but what's crazy is that's one of the only areas on that list that's so like centralized. It's not nowhere. Right. Near any type of water. Uh, yeah. Gables is near water. Ripples near water. South Beach is near water. That's a no, good yeah. point. That is that's really a good point. point. That's the only place that's like inland, like kind of like suburbish. Right. And here's the thing: I can take this train right over here straight to Dayland. It's still, it's right. still connected. You know right. what I'm saying? This, this underline project that they're working on right now, which they're doing great with. Hopefully, they finish this one pretty soon over here. But um, 
it's gonna go 10 miles all the way down to Dayland. Right. So, I mean, so they're you can live in Dayland and work in Brickell yeah. and get and not pay the Brickell price. And not even have to uh, get a car. Yeah, yeah. not have to get a car. So you're saving a couple hundred Yeah, because Brickell is also, I mean, a very walkable city. It's uh, highest know, walkability. If you, yeah. if you work in Brickell, best shot is to live in Brickell. Yeah. And if you don't work in Brickell, maybe it's not a good idea to live in right. Brickell. Right, because those rush hour, that rush hour traffic, especially to get into your building or find parking is, is tough. Yes. Right. I agree. No, yeah, and, um, you know, the underlying project is going to do that. It's aiming towards creating a more walkable city that's yeah. safer. Which is um, good. I like that. I mean, especially yeah. with those, what do they call those little scooters now? Birds? The, the yeah, birds. those have been showing up The now. birds are back, baby. Those are, those are good. They're I'm fast. excited. <laughs> oh, dude, those things rip. Yeah. I've gotten one of those up to about 21 miles an hour. Those things rip down a hill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get a DUI that bridge right there. I think you can. Don't be doing any... Um, I was always worried about those here in Miami just because of the drivers. I mean, right. let's be honest, you know, I think it's still very... <laughs> it's like Mario Kart's out here. Yeah, I think it's still very prominent uh, yeah, in their decision. Yeah. They were gone for a while. I believe they they settled it in court. Uh, yeah. There's certain places where you can't put the scooters. They're yeah, mostly in the gables, brickles, and brickle, brickle yeah. and downtown. Yeah. They have them in the Windwood area too? They should. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think they do that. I think I might have seen them, but hey, I mean, I think it would be a good idea there too. Yeah. That's a pretty walkable sector. Yeah. Well, Edgewater is also. They probably they have some over there for sure. Yeah. And they're really attacking, um, you know, these companies like um, Lime, Bird, mm-hmm. um, Lyft, Uber is even a part of the movement now with these scooters. Yeah, they're on Uber now. Right? Like, like we said, taking something and scaling it down scaling to it the down. minute, and that's what they've done with the scooters. It's like, and you know. Um, you know they gotta they gotta charge these things. They gotta be basically bomb-proof. I mean, yeah. these people are. I know when I get one, I'm I'm going hard on this thing. I'm, I'm you know. I don't trust the Miami drivers like that. <laughs> Imagine Miami drivers now have scooters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be... I mean, around here you get a lot of scooters. You really do. Yeah. A lot of people that you know use them, um, and motorcycles too. It's 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 really interesting. Um, but now, you know, people can sell their cars and just take a scooter to work. Save a lot of money, save a lot of traffic. Yeah. And they can get a bigger apartment in Brickell, you know? Yeah. That's the one thing that we, that we said in one of my classes was um, there's a gentleman there who's a, who's a county planner. He's a very nice guy. Um, he was telling us, you know, he forfeited uh, his car payment to pay towards his rent amount in Brickell mm-hmm. because that's just something that he wanted to do. And, you know, obviously that's very diligent budgeting skills. Right. And uh, good for him for doing that. Um, but that's another thing is thinking about getting rid of that, that car payment. It's a lot of stuff, man. And, you know, there's a lot of dangerous things that can happen out there. My car's in the shop right now. So, I mean, things just happen in life where, you know, um, it just it makes it makes a little bit more sense to kind of scale down and, and work with what you got. So True. Yeah. it's very interesting. I think it's good. I mean, a lot of people, especially around the Brickwood area, they could pay five, six, seven hundred bucks a month for their car. Right. You put that towards a condo and rent or mortgage, that's a lot bigger condo. Yeah. You right. get an extra bedroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Why not? Yeah. I mean, so now you want to move on to talking about I buy The big topic that everyone's probably waiting for. I mean, <laughs> not probably, they are waiting for this. We, we've talked about it a little bit, but we want to really expand on it. And also, we have we have our man here who's going to talk about the, the iBuying experience and and you know the the differences that we've seen so far with it and um you know i think it's just crazy how you can go on your phone sell your house 
I don't know how long it takes, but <laughs> <laughs> but sell your house. I don't think it's that easy. Yeah, it's not I like mean, listing a pair well, of shoes on eBay. Right, right. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. So it's a lot more complicated than just putting it out and then Zillow saying we'll make you an offer, for example. So there's a lot of com- there's a few companies right now that I think about that are really working on the iBuying platform. You've got uh, Zillow. Uh, which actually recently redesigned their website. If you go into Zillow.com and then click the sell a home option, the biggest thing that they're promoting is Zillow offers. Um, Also Opendoor, which has been doing it for a while and they actually just got a lot of funding from, was it SoftBank, the the bank that just gave them funding to continue doing it. Um, So Zillow, for example, when you go in to sell your property, they make you fill out a 50 something question questionnaire. Um, basically all your personal information, everything about the house. And then from there, they determine whether or not they want to make you an offer. Uh, OfferPad is another company, for example. And uh, the conversion on those has been surprisingly really high. Like it's been about 80% of people who take that quiz end up finishing it. Um, and the interesting thing is though, they're not buying a lot of the properties. Okay. Um, they actually did, a, did some research. So in Phoenix, actually, Zillow has developed a full-blown real estate company. So they have their real estate license, they're practicing real estate, and um, over there, they're doing the iBuying, and they have- Over the phones, right? Um, they're not actually seeing the houses in no, person? No, 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 right? everything's done through the internet, right? right? And people take pictures and all of that. Um, and um, basically, there was 22,000 people who filled out the questionnaire or 20,000 people who filled out the questionnaire and they only bought 200 of those houses. Right. Okay. So that's actually only 1% wow. of everyone who put in, who did the questionnaire. Yeah. Now, this is what we're theorizing at Keller Williams is, and something to think about, right, is they had 20,000 people fill out a 50-something question questionnaire. They only bought 200. So what are they doing with the other 19,800 uh, results? They're taking a loss on it. You want to know why? Well, okay. I'm sorry. I don't know. Go ahead. Okay, so Zillow last year, uh-huh. uh, I'm sorry, not Zillow, Redfin uh-huh. came in and they bought around 700 properties. You know, back then, that, that was a lot. That was just, this is an infant idea right. back then in 2018. And so, um, out of those 700 pro- properties, most of them took a loss. Hmm. And yeah. so the CEO said, you know, at the time, interest rates were increasing. And he said, you know, um, if interest rates would have kept going up and the market and the housing market would have kept going down, then um, they would have been in a very tight squeeze. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about, you know, where does this inventory go that they bought it? And, you know, um, I understand that they sell it, but um, you have a little bit more insight about how, what they do with it, right? Well, Redfin, what they're trying to do is cut out buyer's agents, yeah. which is interesting to me because I actually got a contract this morning with Redfin I'm the buyer's agent on there. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and they, they, so they're the broker for it? They're the listing broker, but what they want to do is cut out buyer's agents, only making the sellers pay them 2% right. for everything. Right. So they want to get the buyers themselves, making yeah. them like submit offers online. I read an article saying with this, like, it's kind of like Zillow Instant offers. Basically, mm-hmm. they just ask a bunch of questions. I think they converted like five out of 187. Wow. Of them. Yeah. yeah. In one city, uh, somewhere up north, it was in Florida. And I mean, I don't think it's going to work out for them just trying to cut buyer's agents out because, first of all, you cut off 
a lot of the buyers because buyers agents have a lot of buyers they work with and they're not right. going to show listings so that yeah. they don't get paid money on. Right. So here's so here's the interesting part. Going back to that uh, thing about the 20,000 people who filled out the questionnaire. So those 200, right? The ones that they actually bought and are going to sell. You're right. It's not extremely profitable. Yes. They're making their money on those other 19,800 people because yeah, what they're doing is they're capturing that data and then they're saying these are 19,800 leads. Yes. These are people who want to sell. They, we talked we about the advertisements. Yeah. So oh they're gosh. selling it back oh, to premier agents. Okay. Now here's the scary part is Zillow has already developed a full-fledged real estate company in Phoenix. Yeah. That's their goal. Right. They're looking to develop a full-fledged real estate company that turns agents into employees of the technology. So I'll share with you guys something. Did you know that the owner of Zillow was also the guy who created Expedia? Yes. So travel agents. We talked about it on the last travel podcast. Right. And so now- We're not gonna let that happen though. Right, no. he's doing the same thing <laughs> with Zillow. So what concerns me and what we were talking about earlier is, I mean, there's a statistic that comes out from the NAR that only 8% of clients use the same realtor twice or for repeat business, right? That's, that's, a, that's a national statistic. The reason why that happens is because most agents don't focus on the follow-up and follow-through and maintaining a relationship through people. Right. In other words, they're not maintaining a system with their database to keep in touch with them. So once they close the transaction, they pretty much forget about them, right? So then if the technology is constantly offering people value, like, hey, we'll buy your home, hey, you can come here to check out the value of your property and things like that, where do people start drifting? Right. right. But don't you agree that listing your property rather than selling it directly to Zillow will be more profitable for the sellers. Absolutely. Because Zillow has to have a cushion in between what yeah. the property is worth and what they're actually buying because they don't know. They're buying it basically yeah. sight unseen. Well, there's a there's a minimal profit margin on it. It's about 5% from the research I've done. And yes, they would make more money listing it. However, there's some sellers out there that aren't concerned about making more money. They're more concerned about selling it in less Quicker. time. Yep. Exactly. And that's where Zillow captures those market share because that market share because there are sellers out there that say, I need to sell my home in a week, yeah. you know? And there's no one faster that's gonna get it done than someone who says, here's an offer for your house now. That's right. true, like yeah. someone going into foreclosure, but exactly. for the average seller, the majority of the market, yeah. I think they'd definitely be better off using the more conventional route, using a listing broker. Well, I mean, I, I would agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. Um, though we can agree that some sellers have different reasons for why they need to sell, and sometimes time is the biggest factor, and that's why they choose to do that. There's also some people who don't like to deal with showings, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if anyone's ever tried to sell a home, showing a property isn't the most fun thing to do. Right. Um, it's also became very dangerous. You know, this is something that's happening, you know, um, when you have an open house, you know, everything is there. All of right. your personal belongings are out. One of the big things that a lot of people are worried about is when people come in and they have these cameras placed everywhere and they see people taking their things right. and leaving because their house is open. Right. You gotta make sure all your valuables are put away. You know? Right, right, of right. course. But you'd be surprised. Uh, people will just take a picture and, frame or and something. here's the thing too, you know, you know it's uh, Cologne bottle. How, yeah. easy, how easy is it to get a real estate license? Yeah, right. I mean, they have to make it a little bit more difficult, I think. Yeah. 
I mean, some, some agents, just the fact of the matter is, and it's not their fault. Sometimes they're with the company or they lack this, the training the, or the company doesn't offer it to be able to train them on saying, hey, this is how you manage a listing. This right. is what you should be telling your seller. That's because true. sometimes people just say, oh, you want to list your property? How much? You don't even give them comparables. Oh, okay, great. Here, sign the agreement. I'll take pictures and then we're going to sit on the market and watch it That's and true. wait until someone makes an offer. Yeah, it's really not the agent's fault themselves. Yeah. It's just the brokerage that they came it's up the with. It's the system. Yeah. Not, not having the proper education to yeah. do business correctly, be professional. Yeah. yeah. Which I think right now is a big problem in real estate. There's not yeah. that many professionals. You're a lot right. of realtors are yeah. getting a bad right. rep. Yes. There's a big it's difference. It's a little bit better recently. Yeah. So. Huge difference in these brokerages, right? So you have. You have, you know, um, these these big companies like you mentioned, one hundred percent, that just throw you out there. And then yeah. you have places like like Keller Williams or One Sotheby's that tries to train you, yeah. and they'll take a little bit off, but I mean, you know, they'll train you, and that's how you that's how you gather experience. That's how you learn. Yeah. And yeah. that's why maybe there shouldn't be a deviation. You know, mm-hmm. maybe there should just be one flat rate, and that's how you kind of centralize this whole theory of oh, I'll get my real estate license and make. A ton of money, but it's not always like that. You know, some people, most people don't even make a deal in the and, first year. And the know? thing too, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the thing is too about iBuying, like people think that they're saving on the commission, but the fact of the matter is that they're paying fees the around seller. the same. Yeah. I mean, OfferPad, for example, charges a 7% service fee. Oh, uh, that's how more, much is your commission to list the property? <laughs> and yeah. you're cool with doing that? You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, okay. And that's something that, that uh, I read an article that outlined that is, mm-hmm. and that is the profit margins are thinning for sellers and you know, people just really don't see the value in doing these instant offers or listing it with you know, Zillow or Redfin or any of these places. And I also just wanted to mention Zillow plans on purchasing 5,000 homes a month for the next few years. Isn't that just like... I don't. What are you gonna do with all that? I don't. I don't think they'll be able to, well, to get those. Numbers. Like I said, their end game isn't buying and selling homes; exactly. it's capturing leads. Yeah, it's and building it's, their own database. And another thing that I will mention is they aren't focusing on the profitability aspect of buying and selling homes. Exactly. They're focusing on getting um, their their mortgage their lending arm That's to it. get more attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those people will spend more money on their advertisements through Zillow. The lenders advertise on there a lot heavily. A lot of realtors do also. Do you advertise on Zillow? Uh, I don't. Um, I've never advertised on Zillow. Um, and the main thing about Zillow for me is I see this because I'm studying it now as the team leader at the office where I have to be informing my agents about what's going on. Right. And I'm telling them, I'm like, so think about, for example, Uber, right? Yeah. It's been pretty publicly stated that Uber is looking to create driverless cars. Yeah. Isn't it funny how they have drivers right now who are funding the whole end game of creating driverless wow. cars, just like Zillow has premier agents funding, funding their buying. their end game of cutting them out as fiduciaries. I love this podcast. <laughs> that's well, that's, that's, that's a real true. thing. So that's what I'm saying, right? If you are an agent right now and you are listening to this, you need to have a database and you need to have technology that's keeping you in touch with your clients. Otherwise, you are going to lose them to these technology companies and you will become a salaried employee just like Expedia has done, just like these other travel companies have done, right? Right now, there's a battle between two sides. Yeah. It's either you're the agent who's the fiduciary of the transaction and the technology is facilitating your uh, running your business and giving your customer experience or the technology is the functionary, they're at the center of the transaction and the agent is facilitating the technology in the transaction. So I'll give you an example. I mean, Expedia, right? Let's say you book a trip. Here's the scary part. You probably got a customer service agent called and who called you and maybe helped you facilitate a few things. Do you even remember their name? No. 
since you remember the company, right? Yeah. That's what they want. That's what Zillow's looking to do. Uh, I'm telling you. That's that's the direction. So if you don't in the switch. Right. If you don't have the technology to compete, you're gonna be out of business. Mm-hmm. Right? Or you're gonna be an employee. So that's why it's really important. I mean the travel agents today who still have a business have a business because they've kept the database and they've yeah. kept the relationship. And they have some type of like niche that they're in. A lot of right. like, especially Miami, like some type of travel to Cuba or something like that. Yeah. A lot of them are able to stay alive. I actually have a customer I sold a house to. He has like three travel agency offices and he was yeah. telling me following up with customers is the biggest, the biggest thing, important thing of his life. Really. Yeah. He can yeah. only pay his bills because of that. Yeah. Because it's so easy to book a trip online and Google the rates or do whatever have you. I mean, it's, it's a real like, thing, man. I don't yeah. use a travel agent. I use Amex travel. Exactly. Amex travel doesn't even use Amex anymore. They use Expedia. So when I show up at a hotel, they're like, I'm like Julian Chavez, my name. They're like, yeah. oh, you booked through Expedia. I said, yeah. no, I booked through American Express. I said, no, American Express booked through Expedia. Uh-huh. booked it for you. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, so that's that's a real thing, man. I mean, I would, uh, I don't want to talk too much about uh, Keller Williams because this is not obviously the setting, no, but yeah. I would say uh, they're coming out right now with some technology that is serious. Um, if you look up on Inman, the Zillow killer, uh, so we're actually rolling out a consumer app that basically gives people a lot more of a personalized experience because today's consumer, they want that personalized one-to-one experience. I mean, you think about Netflix. You guys have a Netflix account, right? Of course. If we all logged into our Netflix accounts right now, are we going to see the same thing? No. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, so maybe. In total, maybe. Right? right? But not our, you know, like what they want us shows, to watch right? or what we recently watched. Absolutely right. Because what they're doing is, right, the new wave right now of technology is big data and artificial intelligence platforms. Right. And what they do is they capture the data. So they AI. see what you recently picked out. Right. Yep. And then they use artificial intelligence to interpret, okay, what shows would uh, Chris want to see? What shows would Julian want to see? 98% match. All right. that stuff. Exactly. Right. Uh, Amazon, too. For example, if you log into Amazon, I mean, we would all see different things based off what we bought because Buy what they're again. doing. Exactly. <laughs> they're storing data and then the artificial intelligence is interpreting it to give you that customized experience. So Keller Williams is rolling out with something like that, uh, something like that with a consumer app. And they've also now created, I wouldn't even call it a CRM because you can do everything through that technology. Um, which if anyone would want to find out about it, you could reach out to me, uh, 305-803-0894, shoot me a text, shoot me a call, I'd be happy to give you a presentation. Um, but that technology is next level and you oh, need yeah. that today as an agent. If your uh-huh. company isn't supplying you with those tools and you're going out to other companies, you also need to be aware of who's owning that data. I mean, you guys have heard of Boomtown, right? I have not. No, so, it's a, so it's a CRM platform. Okay. You know who owns Boomtown? No. Realtor.com. Ooh. Okay. So it's selling your own data. So they are still, I mean, how would you feel if you're putting uh, a buyer's information into your CRM and it's owned by one of these companies that's looking to take you out as, as a real estate right. agent, it's, right? It's almost like what Zillow is doing with their agents. Well, Zillow. Because they provide you a CRM. If you're, Zillow, if you're a premier agent with them, they provide you a CRM. Yeah. They have all your info. Right. And Zillow, Zillow is connected through Google, and I believe. Well, we connect, the realtors ourselves connect Zillow because we have, we have a linkage between Miami Association of Realtors that gives all of our data to Zillow. Yes, yeah. that's of, one of the no big problems what. that's happened. You know, well, I, I won't say a big problem because it's also helped a lot of people. You know, um, sell properties through Zillow and all, all yeah. sorts of that stuff. Well, but, it's it's a problem for agents, right? Right, it's a problem for agents, and it's, there's two things now that we're going to face now in the shift as we wrap up this conversation is technology is changing and the market is going to start slowing down. 
You know, the last time we had a shift in the market was 2008, 2009. That was like 10 years ago. Yeah. Most people in the industry today that are real estate agents never went through a market shift. And in that type of market, it's really skill-based. So uh -huh. if you're not constantly training, role-playing, script practicing, learning what to say and being consistent in it, it's, uh, it's gonna be a, a tough market right. for sure. Right, definitely. Yep. That's super interesting. This has been one of my favorite podcasts, definitely. definitely yeah. We've been getting super deep. You know, um, we're, we're kind of at the, the one hour mark, so we're gonna end it here. Uh, I wanna thank Rolando for coming out, man. No, man. Appreciate oh, you coming so out. Much. We had thank such a great conversation nice about the eye buying. We could go on for hours, but hey, we got stuff to do. It's Saturday, man. let's enjoy it. Yeah. This is Real Talk. My name is Chris. Julian. And I'm Rolando. Thank you guys. Thanks everyone for watching and tuning in. Have a good day. Awesome.